the fact that it's foreign language as well sometimes when you're dealing with a different culture and by the way yeah. it sounds a really obvious thing to say to any thinking person but there's a, a crushing difference between somebody having english as a second language or having different mm -hmm. cultural references to you is your amazon private label business set to survive the downturn most sellers don't know Surviving a downturn means squeezing out more profits and slashing waste. But many sellers don't know exactly where their business is making or losing money. If that's you, we can help. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a quick but powerful diagnosis of your biggest issue, just go to amazonprofitquiz.com. That's Amazon Profit quiz.com to get your free instant analysis hey folks this is michael vesey from amazing fba podcast for amazon sellers i'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast the e-commerce leader which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers in this deep dive episode jason miles and i deep dive into a key e-commerce topic hope you enjoy the show all right. In this episode, we are going to break down the process for onboarding a new e-commerce team member. There are three specific areas we want to delve into in this conversation. Michael, are you ready to start talking about how to onboard a new e-commerce team member? I'm absolutely ready to do that. I'm just tempted by this time to see what would happen if you say I'm absolutely not ready to talk about it. <laughs> That'll be true. an entertainingly short <laughs> podcast. But fortunately, yes, I'm absolutely on for this. I think, by the way, confession up front, I think this is something I'm really bad at so far historically. So mm -hmm. I really need to get better. So I'm very open to your ideas. And I have to say also, I don't think I'm the only person in the planet to whom that applies as well. I will say the same on my side. These are areas that I think ideals are easy to put down on paper and mm -hmm. process. And it's Mike Tyson said in the boxing world, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And I love that uh, quote, hopefully you won't be punched in your <laughs> in the face by your <laughs> new team member. But you know how it is. We all have the ideal and then we have the real. And so I think honest confession, we all have higher aspirations for this type of work than what we actually pull off sometimes and Absolutely. that's fair enough yeah and it's good to have aspirations but i think like anything else that this is one of those areas where otherwise people who are very successful getting profitable good revenue growth designing good products but they're often a bit ropey about this process and actually yeah. that's probably because they designed 50 or launched 50 products by the time they're doing some serious numbers they may be onboarded one person once so it's just mm -hmm. a practice thing to some degree i would say it's like my old piano teacher russian guy said the first pancakes to pen yes. you know the first attempt is often rubbish and you've got to forgive yourself move on to the second one but also learn so i think yes. having the ambition to learn is speaks well for anyone who's listening and is willing to learn it that they're at least being gracious towards their future self and also future hires that will have a nicer process yeah. and its experience as well okay so look let's talk about this you've got a nice three-part area which i like the three-part divisions nice and unscary is that the first question or are there other things we've got to consider before we even plunge into onboarding I think onboarding is always unique and it obviously the biggest bifurcation of the work would be who you're onboarding and what the context is. So I think this, everything we're going to share here applies to some respect to generally, but the biggest first question is, are you hiring a technical expert and you are not an expert in that area? That onboarding is very different than if you're hiring a brand new person that's never done what you're asking them to do and you are the de facto teacher of the subject. 
And so I think that's just the biggest kind of scenario that you could put people into is one or the other, or some combo in between where maybe they've got a couple years of experience in a specific discipline, and then you've hired them because of that. But you also have your opinion, your way of doing it type scenario, and the truth will come out in the middle. Maybe you know more about it than they do, or maybe they know more about it than you do. And you've got to really just play it by ear and ask yourself the question, who am I working with here? And how do I respectfully get the work ramped up huh. in a way that I'm happy and they're happy, you know? Yeah, that's a very good, simple bifurcation. Of course, as you said, there can be a blend between the two anywhere at all on that spectrum, but nevertheless, okay, it's a spectrum maybe, but nevertheless, very mm-hmm. clarifying question because it's very tempting to fall into one of two traps and i think that the first trap is to hire someone and then assume they just automatically know what they're doing which is mm. partly implies that you're not very clear in your hiring process of looking at the match between your role and if you haven't written the role please do yeah. that and we've talked about that and if you didn't check in the hiring interview whether they could actually have the skill set to Im- implement the role already where they are on the spectrum needed then yeah. please listen to the previous episode about that as well but assuming you got those two things right yeah i, I think it's a very important point my experience i've got a few experiences to talk about there but rather than messing up your nice clean three three-part division let's get through your three areas because that sounds attractively simplifying so what's the first area that we've got to clarify them. We're all onboarding somebody. I think it's what you might call duties onboarding or job role onboarding, where you actually are just walking people through what is it exactly that you're asking them to do on a daily or weekly basis or whatever the time frame might be. Now, some of this might have come up in the interview, like, oh, no, you, the application said this or that. What They might have asked you a little bit, but this is where you really say, okay, this is what we need done. And uh, this is how we would like to have you do it here. And then again, if it's a expert and you're not an expert, there might be some, this is what we need to achieve. <laughs> what do you suggest the process look like? So there's some back and forth there. And then I would just say for this duties onboarding section, what you're looking to do is hand off a specific process or duty and then have them attempt it and then have them report back to you that they did it and then have them get feedback from you on, yes, was this done? And that first step is really an opportunity to clarify, okay, this is a discrete micro project. Let's have you do it today in the next 24 hours. Please confirm how it went. And obviously it's easiest if you can externally verify their work, if it's some kind of public thing, like a social media post or a blog post or whatever it is, something that you can see is done. But if you can't, then you just need to figure out the clear reporting back process that checkmark, yes, this was done. And then answer questions. Was it done exactly right? Was it done okay? Is this work acceptable? Did they think they did it perfect, but you thought they did it not perfect. These are the back and forth pieces that really, I think, constitute the first, really, and almost most important onboarding activity. And that's the way I'd frame the first area of onboarding responsibilities. What are your thoughts on that? That sounds really good. I think it. I've done 
a lot of teaching for a lot of my living, a lot of my life. My mum was a language teacher and I taught English as a foreign language for a while. And this is the yeah. closest to that. The fact that it's foreign language as well, sometimes when you're dealing with a different culture, and by the way, yeah. it sounds a really obvious thing to say to any thinking person, but there's a, a crushing difference between somebody having English as a second language or having different mm -hmm. cultural references to you and then being stupid. And it sounds really obvious, but it's so important to remind oneself in the heat of the yeah. moment, you think, why on earth don't they get what I'm saying? Of course I'm in X and it's yeah. so easy. I'm terrible at falling into that. And my wife and I have really done a lot of teaching, but we also get very impatient naturally. And we have to, just, you have to step yeah. back and go, and you have I really explained this? And then you often find, <laughs> oh, I haven't explained anything at all. It's all in my head. Uh, so even taking the time to explain what the role is and what the duties will be, it's just, it's such a good thing to do. So basic, I have totally messed that up in the past. And I try now to really catch myself and go, okay, Mike, explain. So this well, is really good. It's a fantastic point because you're communicating through language barrier. You could have everything you could have just said, you could have applied to me not understanding your British English sometimes. <laughs> Sorry about or that. just the American English, British English, whatever, whatever local dialect. And then the fact that it could be a second language for the folks yeah. that you're working on, working with, yeah. working on projects with is, of course, a learning step or process. And you've got to understand in real time, is this person got it? perfectly mm -hmm. or is there some nuance they're missing and is that because the communication back and forth is a little bit tough yeah what i really think is great about your simple process by task or by project if you like you explain they try and do it they document it and then you give them feedback that's that should be well a virtuous loop either that or you quickly yes. find out that you really either can't explain what you want or they really can't do it and, and it's always going right. to be a blend of the two maybe you just made a hiring mistake in which case that will show up because you explain it very clearly and they just don't get it yeah, and maybe true. they're a really bright person but they're going i don't know what to do because you haven't given me any tasks i mm -hmm. get that still sometimes and yeah. then it's on you of course so it's it's this is where it starts to get very humbling and where you realize wow yeah. there's an art to this and it just gets better with the experience and you nice and sharing the mistakes we made and i've still yeah. got things to do the, the main thing i would add to this is not instead i think this is really good what i would say is that that i tried to remind myself and again a learning from erin o'sullivan who i've mentioned before from systems culture impact he says don't forget to give context to each task if yes. you're outsourcing a task but mm -hmm. i think it's good to give context to the entire role for example mm -hmm. why is this role exists for i hired jai really as a replacement from a previous general virtual assistant i thought i was hiring with a blend with marketing the truth is they're not really doing virtual assistant type things they're not checking my email i probably should get jai to do that and triage my inbox because i'm getting overwhelmed and actually i had a chat with him the other day have you got the space for that he said sure no problem but actually the truth is he's pretty much a content marketing assistant he edits yeah. podcasts he does a lot of mm -hmm. social media stuff that i have no interest in and no, no talent at so really if i were onboarding somebody again to replace him i would say this role is social media marketing and it, the purpose of it is to gain the three marketing goals we've talked about with traffic awareness yeah. engagement and even conversions and i think it will it's helpful to give an overall context of this is where i'm aiming with my business not too much because it's not that relevant to them if it's too detailed but i think it's good to say this is what we're aiming to do this year as part of that the marketing role is supposed to deliver these results and i think yeah. It helps them understand, it gives them a bit of a steer when there's a bit of a question mark in my mind what they should be doing to enable them to steer themselves. And I think mm -hmm. also importantly, it gives us meaning to their role. It's not just a paycheck, it's actually something that's contributing to a, a bigger picture. And I think yeah. for yeah. me personally, as an employee or an engaged person, that always matters. And I think yeah. probably matters more than we think to our in the stuff that we're getting on board as well. I totally agree. And just like any full-time regular employee, you could call it in the US, a W-2 employee that is onboarded, it's also true for your 
virtual assistants or people who are contractors, you want them to be passionate about the success of your business. That is a, an indicator of whether you've got a, a good fit person. A good fit is are they demonstrating, expressing passion and enthusiasm for the success of the whole? And then sometimes that can be tough when you work with contractors or people who are working on gigs because they're just a mercenary for pay. <laughs> yeah. But the more nuanced ones will actually take a few words a week. Yeah. To express some care and concern for your baby, which is this business yeah. you're trying to grow. When they do, it's just so heartwarming. Yes, they're on the team. Absolutely. But by the way, I think there's a really critical difference. You just flagged up because it's a, something that pretty much lacks a professional musician now. I, I think there's a real difference between hiring somebody with a really good skill set, but professional pride in that skill versus somebody who is not that skilled necessarily, but is going to be hired mm -hmm. as part of your team, maybe full-time or part-time ongoing, as opposed to the yeah. gig. I think with a gig person, you rely on them to have professional pride. For example, a lot of professional musicians I know really uh, traditionally in the UK, they're orchestral players and, and that whole industry is devastated right now. But yeah. I've hired lots and lots of people and you rely on their professional pride. You look at their CV and go, this person really wants to deliver a great result. They may mm -hmm. hate me. Traditionally, orchestral players in the mm -hmm. UK hate the conductor. They have terrible industrial relations. <laughs> and uh, tradition is just true. I was yeah. one of them, I should know. And they also don't necessarily respect the organization they're working for. But yeah. If they have a real respect for their profession, they have professional pride, which means yeah. they're going to deliver well whatever you yeah. do. And so yeah. there's a bit of a difference, I think, between a professional designer who will say, I'm not going to design this because it's going to look ugly versus somebody mm -hmm. who you've onboarded and needs to believe in the outcome. And that Mission, makes a material yeah. difference to the quality of their work. So I think it's a really yeah. important distinction that to suss out, really, because sometimes... Yeah, sometimes you really do need to motivate people or they really will do bad work. And some other people, yeah. you just hire them and they just deliver good quality work. It might be random work if you've given them random instructions. Right. <laughs> but that's different from the quality. Anyway, the more you look into this, there's a lot of nuance in this. But anyway, let's simplify this back down. What's the second area after you've explained the role and the tasks and stuff? Sure. The second big area, I would say, is onboarding them as it relates to communication expectations. I think that's the right way to, to frame the wording there, communication expectations. And mm -hmm. so that breaks down into five or six specific areas. The first one is, when are you available to do real-time chats with them? And you've got to get that routine synchronized real quick, especially if you're in radically different time zones. You're working with somebody in Hyderabad or Manila or something like that. You're like, what time zone do you live in? When are you working for me? And when can I be available to chat with you about questions or review work, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first thing to synchronize. The second thing I would say is how do you report your activities? Did you work for me today or for the company today? We use a very simple process in our team, and that is a daily email summary. They send it to the team leader. The team leader sends it to me as a consolidated email with everyone's daily duties in bullet point form. And it is not generic. Oh, I worked on my job. It's obviously detailed. This is exactly what I did today. And that works well for me as the manager of the team, because then I have a email pops in every day. I just scan it real quickly. There's a few other parts and maybe at some point we can break that down and we can do a deep dive into my daily email routine. But it's an active communication step they must take every day. Now, some team members will be like, what the heck? I never heard of that before. I, that's not how I work. I just give you my timesheet. <laughs> so this is how we do it here. And, and that's an important piece because at the end of the day, you've got to have your communication needs satisfied. 
and they've got to have their communication needs satisfied. Uh. And you're working remotely, you're working distance. And so this is a central idea. Okay. So then another piece of that is how do they share concerns with you? What's not going well? And you've mentioned before about the basically like the subtleness or the, just the care that maybe Filipino VA would take in this area. But it's important, I think, on the onboarding process for you to say, if you have a concern, if there's work that needs to be done so that you can do your job effectively, or if there's an issue or problem, here's how we handle that here. You give them permission to raise concerns or issues. And then the final thing I would just say is, how do they document their upcoming work schedule or plan? For example, the easiest example here is, are there a social media poster and what tool do they use to post the social media content for seven days ahead, 14 days ahead, 21 days ahead? Is there a planning tool or system so that, oh, this is what they're going to do in three days, or you've got an insight into what's coming down the track for their tasks and duties. And so I think these are key communication onboarding elements and conversations to have. And that right when you hire them, it's the perfect natural time to do that. Because it's the, whenever you delay one of these things, mm. it becomes incrementally harder to revisit. Mm. You've got a window yeah. on the onboarding where you can talk about anything. But once you delay on some things, it will feel like a corrective action. It'll feel like they've made a mistake. It will feel like they screwed up if you have to address one of these things. So that's why it's important to do upfront this whole idea of communication. It's huge for virtual team members. Absolutely. There's a lot of wisdom of what you're saying here. The first thing you just said, actually, the last thing you said is so true. You're absolutely right. It's not only does it feel bad, but the other thing is in psychology, the rule of how habits get made is whatever's happened for a while or especially mm-hmm. your initial encounter sets the tone for the entire relationship. And yeah. I, I found that to be a, an alarmingly consistent rule, whether it's personal, sexual, romantic relationships, business relationships, yeah. that the initial encounter set, just sets things in a certain path. So you're absolutely yes. right. I think the hiring, that even when people, going back through our process, even when people see the advert that you put out there, job role, if you put it on Upwork or something, that sends certain signals about who you are and how clear you are or vague mm-hmm. you are, how maybe over fussy you are, depending on how you come across the the hiring interview process tells them as much about you as it does the other way around, probably more right. if they've just done 20 interviews and you've only done three. <laughs> it's because yep. they want a job. And yeah, you're right. The onboarding piece. I think the absence of it tells them a lot. And sadly, my peeps have mostly experienced yeah. that. And yeah. you're, you're, I couldn't agree more. So I think you're right. Even if it's not that well done, I think even making the attempt the first time yes. out. Yes. It sends a signal that at least you're trying. And even if they've worked for other people before and go, okay, Mike's got a lot to learn, which I absolutely mm-hmm. know a lot of people work for me would be thinking. But yeah, the fact that you attempt it's important. It's if you're creating a coloring book page and you say this area over here, I'm drawing a line around and you can operate in this space with me. So what you just said, for example, Mike has a lot to learn. If you say to a team member, I have a lot to learn. And I'm giving you permission to speak into our business and to our process to help me improve it. And here's how I would love for you to share those thoughts and ideas. You've just given them a space that they're comfortable emotionally operating in without a concern or hesitation. Now, they can be good at that or bad at that, but nonetheless, you've given them that area. And I think that's a key part of the idea here. 
That's nice. And also it comes down to one's personality. You and I both tend to be on the more humble. I'm willing to admit mistakes, but have a certain degree of charm and we could get away with that. So other people, if they're very controlled and their strength is being very strong and very organized, might yeah. do it in a different way. But I think yeah. that permission to be honest is really important. However, one yeah. puts that across. The other thing I want to say, just a couple of thoughts. Most generally, the common error with communication with remote teams, and I see this in myself, but I hear it from like Taki Moore, who trains up a lot of people. He mm -hmm. coaches coaches, but same difference, same free commerce. And other people who've worked in e-commerce, like Erin uh, O'Sullivan again, for example, or, or mm -hmm. Nathan Hirsch, you know, who's the outsource school, yeah. very wise guy. It's just the lack of communication. Remote mm -hmm. teams need much more communication than in person. And one thing really struck me, I'm involved in a sort of voluntary group that was working in, a, in buildings loaned by a church, it's not a church group, the other day. And one of the guys who was supposed to be coming to, to unlock the room the, the following week couldn't make it. And I said, I created videos for him and I talked him through stuff and I dictated a sort of kind of micro essay onto my phone as a text and I have a bad habit of doing that but nevertheless I thought you know what when you can't meet with somebody and just physically show them where things are which would take two minutes and be very simple yeah. the alternative is a lot more communication I looked and I mm -hmm. thought this looks overwhelming maybe I've overwhelmed them with detail which is another one of my bad habits but I just thought the truth is that how this is a very sort of tiny but very clear juxtaposition of the in-person world and the virtual world and I thought, wow, isn't it interesting how big a difference of communication volume is needed? It's crazy. You just touched on one piece on this whole onboarding step that I think could be critical. So just to skip up to the first bullet point again, we didn't mention it, but you just referenced the idea. Sometimes it's just simplest to do screen capture and to turn on your video camera. And I use Zoom for this, actually. I just turn on a Zoom session with nobody else invited to the meeting, hit record, show my screen and walk through, hey, here's what we are thinking. And this is that's especially powerful for giving feedback. Oh, I've done the job for the day. And then if you can look at it or audit it, you could be like, oh, okay, that's fantastic. Next time, let's try one, two, three, because X, Y, Z. And it's a great little tool for feedback. So what you've just brought up with giving feedback via Zoom, but actually talking on your own, and then they look at the video later, brings up a very important division, which sounds very pretentious with the words I'm about to use, but I can't remember who said it, but it's a good division, which is between synchronous and asynchronous. In other words, if I'm going to communicate with you on a live Zoom call, which, mm -hmm. by the way, can be recorded, which is what we're doing now, both in a way, or a face-to-face -face meeting or on the phone, yeah. that's synchronous. Yeah. We have to both be on at the same time. And as you say, with time zone differences between anywhere in the world and the Philippines. You, you in the Philippines have the opposite problem to me in the Philippines, but the same difference, several hours. That can yeah. be really impractical. And one of the alternatives is for you to send a video via Loom or, or whatever it may be, and then people look at it and then give a response, maybe via Skype chat. That I find I use a lot naturally because of the yeah. time zone differences. And it's important to distinguish between the two of them. I think those two combo of in real life chatting, real time chatting, and then video capture, you can really overcome a lot of communication challenges with just those two things and used in combination. I do that sometimes. Somebody will say, hey, can you look at this? I'm like, sure. And I record a video with my thoughts and here's my feedback. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, let me watch it. And then they're like, oh, okay, great. I get it. We do that frequently. And so that's another, it's a combo of 
recordings slash real-time chat. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And by the way, I think that the rest of the planet is now catching up on these ways of working mm-hmm. and people write articles about it like it's new. I'm like, I've been doing this for years. So I guess that it forces you to do that earlier. And actually there can be many upsides to that, amongst mm-hmm. which is that you've documented your thoughts as well as communicating, which mm-hmm. is not true if we have a live chat that's not recorded. Mm-hmm. I must confess about live meetings, our confession number, whatever it is, out of a long list of sins. And I'm constantly intending to have regular live meetings. I even put them in my diary with Jai, but I often bail on them because I haven't got clear about goals and outcomes, processes, mm. and how to communicate mm. them. And mm. actually, it's a bit like preparing for a live concert versus doing a, a non-life. That's probably not a useful analogy because nobody else knows that. Yeah. But I, for me, it's okay. Actually, it takes a lot of practice and rehearsal to prepare for a live gig. But if I can record little bits at a yeah. time, I can piece it together. And actually, yeah. I, I guess to give myself some credit, maybe I just don't actually have to do things that well in live meetings. Maybe I just need to connect and just be honest about the fact, look, just checking in. How are you doing? Yeah. How's life? Are you in lockdown in 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 Davao City over in the Philippines how's your family maybe I should just be honest and separate the training thing from the connection thing I don't know what are your thoughts I think it depends on the person that you're working with and their Mm -hmm. duties so for example I have a process with a web developer every night my time at 10 p.m. he starts his shift so he starts with how are you do you have any new tasks for me today? (laughs) Like on Skype every day. And I say, I'm great. How are you? And then I'll either say, yes, I've gotten like six pages that need to be worked on or here's a list or whatever. And then, or I'll say nothing special. And then he has a default set of things that he does when it's a nothing special day. And then I wake up at about 5.30 or 6 and he's ending his work at 7 a.m. my time. So between 6 and 7, I'll say, good morning. And he'll say, these are the things I worked on today. Can you look at them? And then I'll give feedback. And we have an hour for the back and forth. Oh, I was meaning this color green, not that color green or what, whatever the feedback is. Now, that's because he's got a bespoke list of duties every day. And it works fantastic. I love that process. Other people on our team have a standing job that they just know how to do that does not need my feedback <laughs> like that. And so I think it really depends on what team member you're working with and how they're in collaboration with you and whether it's a standard job that they know how to execute on completely without your input or just general management, you could say, management input, or if it's a bespoke list where they're really executing on your specific criteria. So I think it's horses for courses, it's style for whatever is appropriate type thing, you know. I really like that differentiation, by the way, between somebody just the same sorts of things every day or every week versus it's also a very good plan because otherwise they'll end up just not doing much, which Jai has been Mm -hmm. ending up doing recently. Thanks so much for listening to The E-Commerce Leader. Today, we've obviously been discussing onboarding e-commerce team members. This is the first of two halves of this conversation. Today, we've really talked about who you're hiring is it a technical expert or is it somebody you're going to train up and of course that then implies different things in terms of how you onboard them but the main two of the three areas that that the three-part system that jason's created is the first area is onboarding what are you responsible for what is your job in in essence the second area is communications how do we do things when do we do real-time chats how do we report activities how to share concerns about what's not working all useful stuff, I hope. The next things we've got coming up in our next half of this conversation are about the employment side. What's the deal? How about paid benefits, reporting hours? Is there a review of your employment? Is there a kind of probationary cycle, that sort of stuff? And of course, 
the tools that we use as well. We're going to share a bit about our favorite tools for communications and processes. Hope you found this useful. I certainly think it's a, an area where it pays to listen to people's thoughts and to learn from other people's mistakes and good practice because it's a challenging area, but a great point of leverage if you can increase your business by hiring people. It's really the classic way to grow a business in the end. So if you like this stuff, thank you very much for listening. Do subscribe on your favorite podcast player and we'll see you and speak to you again in the next episode that was the e-commerce leader podcast with michael Vizi in london england and jason miles in seattle washington thanks for listening to the 10k collective podcast for six and seven figure amazon sellers i really hope you found the show helpful to you please don't forget to subscribe to the show And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.